We're in a series called Doors. <clears throat> Doors are entry points. Everybody say entry points. So they're entry points um, from one environment to the other. Now, I'm not going to open this door right now, but, but if I were to do it, you'd know. One environment to the other. I'm, I'm in one part <clears throat> of my world. I open the door, and I go through another part, an environment. It is from one dimension to another dimension. It is from one atmosphere to another atmosphere. How many knows this to be true? If you've ever um, went to somebody's house, and in their house, you walked into their home, and in their home was a completely different atmosphere than from your home. Whether it was good or bad, but it's something completely different. Why? Because they created that atmosphere that they're living in. So it can be completely different from what's happening in the streets versus what's happening behind that door. God has an environment that he's created for you called your destiny and your purpose. An atmosphere that's set for miracles. An atmosphere with your faith where all things become possible. An atmosphere of breakthrough. Moving from one place past the threshold into another place is called a breakthrough. Tap your neighbor and say it's time for a breakthrough in your life. Come on. Breakthrough, breakthrough. Breakthrough. Who wants some breakthrough today? Breakthrough. I want us to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9. Paul's writing this to the church. And he says this, For a great and effective door has opened to me. And everybody gets excited about that. We love the open door season, which by the way we're coming into right now. We love God opening the doors. But then he gives us a caveat. He tells us a little warning. He says this, but he says there are many adversaries. So we know that behind every door that's provided for us to move into another place with God, there's always going to be the enemy that wants to stop us and shove us out of our destiny and keep us from crossing that threshold with him. The truth of the matter is God's organized it, wants you to have it, orchestrated it, but now then you got to have the faith to push down every demonic spirit that tries to come up against you. Now, how many ever hung a door? You ever hung a door in your home, or bedroom, closet? Not the easiest job if you've never done it before, correct? Only a few people have done it. I did it once. Come on, once. And after that, I realized I'm not good at this, right? Because a door has to be hung properly. Get the hinges and um, you hang it. And it's got to be on that door jam right. Because if it's not hung properly, uh, it's out of balance. And it will not be able to close right. It won't be able to open right. I'm going to talk about that a little bit today as well. When you hang a door, you got to have it balanced so that it can open right and it can close right. So today I want to talk about the hang-ups that have got you hung up in your life. Amen? So I feel like preaching this this morning. Now the Word of God is full of people that had hang-ups in their life. And they got hung up in those things. Let me list out some here today. Adam. Adam was the first man. He was a blame shifter who couldn't resist peer pressure. Eve, the first woman easily deceived by her desires. Cain, the firstborn human being, murdered his brother. Noah, the last righteous man on earth at that time, was a drunk. Abraham, the forefather of faith, let other men walk off with his wife on two different occasions. Sarah, a beautiful woman, let her husband sleep with another woman and then hated her for it. Lot, who lost his father early in life, had a serious problem with choosing the wrong company. You know, things have to do with the company we keep. 
Job, supposedly a contemporary of, of Abraham. And he, he was considered one of the uh, people of faith. But he put up with a faithless woman. Isaac, who was nearly killed by his father, talked his wife into concealing the marriage. Rebecca, the first male-ordered bride, turned out to be a manipulative wife. Jacob, who wrestled with God, was pretty much a pathological liar and deceiver. Rachel, who wrote the book on, the, on love at first sight, was a thief. Reuben, the pride and the firstborn of Jacob, was a pervert who slept with his father's concubine. Moses, the humblest man on the face of the earth, had a very serious problem with his temper, and he murdered a man. Aaron, who watched Jehovah triumph over Pharaoh, formed an idol to give it thanks rather than God. Miriam, the songwriter, had sibling jealousy and agreed for power. Samson, the strongest man to have ever lived, was hopelessly unequally yoked with a disloyal wife and ended up taking his own life. Eli, who ruled over Israel, was a hopelessly incapable father who lost his sons to immorality and to an untimely death in his life. Saul, the first and powerful king of Israel, was apparently a psychotic with manic bursts of anger, episodes of deep depression, and traces of paranoia. He committed suicide. David, the friend of God, concealed his adultery with a, with a murder. Solomon, the wisest man in the world, was probably one of the greatest sex addicts we've ever had on, on, written in history with over 1,000 sexual partners. Hosea, an incredibly forgiving man grappled with the pain of a wife who would not stay faithful to him. The prophets, even as they spoke for God, struggled with impurity and so on and so forth. And you thought you were unique. Oh, my problems. Nobody understands me. I'm telling you, this Bible's full of people with problems. And in spite of the problems, God still used them. By the way, that's one of the reasons why I love this holy book called the Bible. That's why I believe it's the inspired word of God because no God would ever want right all the kind of faults and failures that his servants had over the years. Yet this God says, put it all out there. I don't care. I'm going to show them how I redeem man back to myself. I redeem him in spite of themselves. I'll use them even at their lowest places. Come on. And I'll raise them up in power and authority. That's what God does to a life. Come on. Oh, you don't understand my problems. Yeah, well, there's plenty of problems in the word of God. But this morning, I want to talk about a major hang-up that's got a lot of God's people hung up in their lives. God directed me to preach this this morning, making them unable to go through the door of breakthrough. You're just always at the cusp, always ready to go through, just about ready to get your breakthrough and move into that new dimension, a new season of your life, but you never quite can get there. There may be something for you to consider this morning and we're going to help you get there this morning by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke, look at Luke chapter 17, verse 1. Luke 17, verse 1. Jesus said to his disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourself. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. Church, 
Jesus is not speaking to the world here. He's speaking to his own here. He's speaking to his disciples here. And he's saying, look, there's something called offense. And every single one of you, all 12 of you, anybody who follows me are going to feel the pain of offense at some point in their life. Does anybody know what I'm talking about when it comes to offense? And this thing is powerful. And this thing's got to be preached. This thing's got to be shown forth for what it is. It's holding God's people back. So when you think of offense, think of a fence. Because the moment you get offended, you get a fence built around you. So you're not able, you're not capable of breaking out of That's why you need a breakthrough. And he said, look, you're going to get offended. Somebody's going to offend you. A family member's going to offend you. A friend, a husband, a wife. A boss, a banker, a pastor. Somebody's going to offend you at some point in your life. Here's the deal. He's trying to teach them. When you get offended, just simply don't take the offense. Did you hear what this preacher just said? When you get offended, don't take the offense. Don't claim it as your own. Offense in the Greek is the word scandalon. It's where we get our word scandal. And that's what the devil's always trying to do. The devil's always trying to raise drama everywhere we go. Always drama. I can't believe, there's so many people that are addicted to drama. Y'all like drama. What's that bachelorette thing on TV? What's that thing called? The Bachelor Millionaire or whatever it's called. Uh, who even watches that stuff? And yet, obviously, there's a market for it because people watch it all the time. And it's nothing but a bunch of Drama. The New Jersey Shore. That's coming out, I guess. I guess it's out. Y'all, look at me. Uh, I don't start my New Jersey Shore. You can't help yourself. You watch it. Why? You can't. It's like watching a train wreck. You just got to watch it for yourself to see it. And you think, that was so stupid. I just wasted an hour of my life. But you couldn't help yourself. You had to watch Schnooky. <laughs> Is that her name? <laughs> you couldn't help it. We were addicted to drama. We want scandal in our lives. We can't wait to wake up and see all the things on our phone go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, there's another one. Here's another one going down. Here's another one. going. We like the scandal, and it comes from the word offense. Somebody got offended, and that's where the drama came in your life, and that's where the scandal came in your life. And the word scandalon is derived from a hunter. The meaning of it is derived from a hunter. And Jesus knew this, and he was speaking this to his disciples. He said, look, look, offense or scandalon is coming. And they knew that when he said scandalon, what it meant. It was like the hunter who's on the hunt for big prey. And maybe a bear or a tiger or something to eat. I don't know, whatever's out there in the wilderness, right? And, and so what he does is he goes out into the middle of the forest and he digs a pit. Big hole. So big that if anything gets in it, they can't get back out without a ladder, right? They can't climb out of it. And at the very bottom of the pit, he puts these stakes down at the bottom and he, and, he, and, he, and he forces them into the ground and he sharpens the ends of the sticks. So when they, the ones that are pointed up are sharp as arrows. So that anything that falls in that hole is either going to die or be terribly, terribly wounded and their strength will leave their body. And then what he does is he takes the sticks from the forest and he lays them across that big old gaping hole. And then he takes all the, the, the foliage and, and leaves and all the things that are on the ground. And he, what he does is he mirrors the ground. And he puts it on top of those sticks so you can no longer see the hole. You can no longer see the trap. The hunter's smart because two things. Number one, he knows he's got to bait that trap. 
And he puts in the meat or the kind of whatever that, 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 that bear or that, that tiger likes. And he puts it in the middle of that trap so that, that that beast will then step upon those twigs and branches and fall right into that trap and be mortally wounded. But he also knows something else. He knows where they're at. He knows where they walk because he can see the beaten down paths of the animals. So he knows which one's which. He knows which one he's going to catch. And he knows the path that they travel on. That's just like the devil. And that's exactly what Jesus warned us again. He said, look, the devil is trying to set up an offense, a trap. He knows where you wander. He knows where you go. And all he can do is now dig a hole and get ready. He's saying he's laying the trap. It looks safe, but it's not safe. That's why you need the Holy Ghost in your life. You need the discernment of the Spirit of God to tell you what's up, tell you where things are happening, know that there's a trap ahead. Does anybody want to talk to me today? It may look good for that business deal, but the Holy Ghost puts a check down in your spirit and says, that's not the person for you. And then it comes out later, that joker stole everybody's money, but your money's safe because the Holy Ghost told you and you were warned and you listened to what he said. I'm telling you, the devil's always trying to set a trap in our lives and he knows exactly where we live and what kind of bait we like to eat. Listen to me. There's somebody. I don't mean to get paranoid. And I'm not paranoid. And I don't want you paranoid. I want you discerning. There's somebody setting the trap for you right now. You may not know their name. You might live with them. I don't know. And they might not even know what they're doing fully. But somebody's setting you up. Some of you have already been caught in the trap already. And that's why you're weak. And some of you barely got to church today because you're so wounded. You've been in that pit for so long. You haven't eaten nothing, ain't drank nothing. You're bleeding from the, the wounds, from the spears in the ground. And you need somebody to help you out. I said, somebody's got to help you out. Thank you, God. Come on. That he always comes by and gives us help in time of need. Amen. Yes, somebody might be laying a trap for you right now. Some of you might be in the trap at this point right now. And I'm going to tell you something right now. You can read your Bible in the trap. You can pray in that trap. You can go to church in the trap. You can praise the Lord in the trap. But you're still in the trap going nowhere and slowly bleeding to death. In verse 3, Jesus is telling us, don't you be the one who builds the trap for someone else. He said it'd be worse for you if a millstone were hung around your neck and you end up at the bottom of the ocean than for you to hurt somebody else. Don't you dare get manipulative and controlling about somebody else. We are believers in Christ Jesus, which means whom the sun sets free is free indeed. We're not to control other people, manipulate people, get them to bend their will to what we want so we can manipulate them to get in a place of power or position. That is not God for us, whether it be in the church or in the world. That's not what God called us to be. What that does is end up getting people offended with you and now you laid the trap. And you wonder, why are these people mad at me? Maybe you laid the trap. Mom and dad, I want to tell you something. I love you. Thank you for being your children's life. But don't set the trap for your children. Be careful how you treat your kids. Yeah, we keep them in line. And yes, we must correct them. And I believe in all of that. Absolutely 100%. But you don't frustrate your children. 
You don't just, well, I just, told, I just do it because I told you to. And you, you can't do that all the time. You got to explain to your kids, this is why we do what we do. This is what we believe. And thank God you're in the house of God. Thank God you're here this morning. You know why? Your kids pick up more what you do than what you say. Am I right about that? They're watching your every move. You can't tell them, you can't smoke. I'm 16 years old. I can smoke if I want to smoke. And, and, and you're smoking your own cigarettes? Amen. You might have to say, I can't do this no more. If I'm going to be an example to my children. And I don't know who smokes, so don't get all mad at me. Can Christians smoke? Sure. Amen. You're, just going, to, you're going to go to heaven a lot quicker than the rest of us, praise God. But, but you, it's okay to smoke if you want to smoke, praise God. It goes the same for overeating. Come on. Amen. We are telling ourselves sometimes. Amen. The truth of the matter is, is that I'm trying to say to you, you don't frustrate your children. Matter of fact, the Bible says this. Look what the Bible says. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So we teach them. We don't just say, I told you so. That's all you need to know. I told you so. Boy, I brought you in this world. I'll take you out. I may have used that before, praise God. I bet that used many a time, praise God. Well, I, I tell you, I don't mean to bring this all up again, but I mean, I got whooped when I was a kid. I don't know if y'all got whooped. I got child abuse when I was a kid. Now, it, it wasn't it wasn't back then. Today, it would be, praise the Lord. I mean, I got beat with everything, extension cord, anything that was handy, praise God. I hated the, I had a piece of racing track. It was a rubber, rubber racing track, and it was orange, and my mother would take a piece of that, whack, oh my Lord. And then your grandmother, my mother didn't do this, but my grandmother, she was Italian, she said, hey boy, Go out there and uh, get me a switch. How many members of switch days, praise God? And you're going out there trying to find the littlest, tiniest little thing. And you bring it here. How about this one? She goes, boy, get me a real switch. This is just crazy. This is, a, this is psychotic. It's working on our little brains. We're only 10. And, and our minds, I got to pick my own device to be killed with. You know how you just feel it. You know it's coming. And, man, that switch, you hear the switch, that thing will wrap around your leg, man. So it got you once, and then whack, it got you a second time. So you got beat twice with one switch. Come on, one whipping. Am I right? And my mother, she was Italian, so she would beat me in syllables. You know what I'm talking about? I didn't get a whipping. I got, I told you. She's like a preacher. Never, never, ever do that stuff. And she beat me like that. Pentecostal preacher beating me. And in the summertime, that's when the worst was because you weren't in school. So you got whipped every day in the summertime and the windows were open. Come on. And all your friends are just laughing out there in the street and you're getting beat up. Come on. And I digress. Amen. But that's, you know, that was those days. My point is, I don't want us to be like that with our children, but I do want us to explain to them the facts of life. And how to live and not frustrate them. So when they get older, 16, 17, 18, they're following your rules. And by the time they're in their adulthood, they actually want to hang out with you. And not get away from you. Amen. Someone does you wrong. Messes with you. And instead of talking to them about it, you decide that you're going to front them off. You decide you're going to tell them off. You're going to give them a piece of your mind. How dare you talk to me like nobody talks to me like that. And boy, you let them know. And you, I mean, and you feel grieved afterwards. You feel good in the moment, but you feel real grieved afterwards. 
And you just, some of y'all got fronted off by somebody and, and you didn't, you just got shocked. And you didn't know what to say. You just shocked. But honey, by the time you got home, but you didn't get home, you got in the car, praise God. And you turned that rear view mirror right to yourself, oh really, let me tell you something. And you gave them a piece of mind. They didn't hear one word you said, but you did give them a piece of your mind, praise God. It's funny. We get angry because we want to manipulate and control. And people, how about this? How about spouses giving one another the silent treatment? One person goes off and, and is, acts like an idiot, screaming and hollering. The other person gets quiet, goes away. And the other person that's quiet thinks they're superior, honey. And... Um, You preached about that, right? One time? Yeah, I think she did. <laughs> and, and, and they think, well, you know, I'm getting the upper hand because they acted like an idiot and now I'm over here being quiet, but they never reveal their emotion. They never say what's in their heart. They just get quiet and they think that they'll, they'll feel sorry for me or they'll pity me or they'll know how bad they treated me. And that's just as manipulative and controlling as the guy who's shouting and screaming. Because God wants us to work these things out. He doesn't want us to get caught in the trap of scandal on. And we're caught in the trap of scandal. We never get through the door of opportunity. Notice that Jesus said, guys, I can't stop this. I can't stop the scandal on. I can't stop the offense from happening to you. Church, you've got to toughen up. When people talk bad about you, when they say crazy things about you, if you don't toughen up, you're going to fall into the trap and be wounded and may die there in that trap. So what if somebody said something bad about you? Is it the end of the world? Well, I just heard that they just said it and no one's ever done that before and they talked behind my back and I didn't deserve that. Honey, you didn't know it, but they've been talking behind your back for years. And you were living in peace. You were happy because you didn't know about it. Act like that. Give it to God. Say, it doesn't matter what people think about me. And you're going to go through the pain of being misunderstood from time to time. And you're going to be sitting on the, on the jury, jury stand and on the witness stand and jury of your peers and a judge. And they're going to nail you. I'm not talking about in the natural. I'm talking about in an emotional sense. They're going to nail you. And you'll have no proof to back up your claims. And you know in your heart you're innocent. You've been misunderstood. You did something good. And they looked at it and said, oh, you only did that so that you could be seen. You only did that so you could feel like you're somebody. And they misunderstood. It's a painful thing. How about Jesus? When he told his, all of his followers and the thousands that were following him that day and said, one thing I need to tell you, you got to eat my flesh. And drink my blood or you'll have no part of me. And the Bible says many walked away from him that day. And he turns to the disciples and says, will you also walk away from me? Jesus did not explain. It was the communion elements. He just simply said it. He was being misunderstood. And as a result, many people turned their back on him that day. Matthew 5, 11, Jesus said, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely? You're blessed. You're blessed when they talk behind your back, accuse you of things you didn't do. For my sake, rejoice 
and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When people are talking about you, that must mean you're stirring stuff up in the spirit realm. You're about to go into another atmosphere, another dimension. Come on, another breakthrough is about to happen. You're about to go through your door. Woo! Woo! Glory to God. Who's ready for that breakthrough? So instead of getting offended and being held back from that promise, instead, get happy, rejoice. Say, Lord, I don't like it. I'm not comfortable with it. But obviously, you said to get happy because our reward is about to come into my life. You always get the promise first. And the promise will bring the promotion. There's something in the middle people don't like. And it's called the process. And in order for the promise to give you a promotion, you got to go through the process of being misunderstood, being lied about, being taken for granted, being left for dead. Luke 17, 4. And if he sins against you, Jesus said, if he sins against you, if he offends you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And the apostles said, Lord, what are you talking about? They said, increase our faith. Why did they say increase our faith? Because in their spirit, or in their knower, inside, they knew they didn't have that kind of capacity. We've been taught our whole life since we were little bitty guys that an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You throw a rock, I get a bigger rock, and I throw that one. We've been taught to war with one another. And Jesus said, no, it's kept you back. It's held you in scandal on. That's why you got drama in your life all the time. You're always ready for war, always ready to throw your fists in the air, always ready to duke it out. And that's the reason why you got issues in your life. He says, if they come and they repent, you let it go. Lord, increase our faith. That's hard for us to get. That's hard to do. Do you know what they did to us? Let me make this statement. The level of your faith is at the level of your forgiveness. Let that sink in. Let me say it again. The level of your faith is at the level of your forgiveness. We know your faith level by your forgiveness level. Amen. If you want to do great things with faith where eyes haven't seen, ears haven't heard, the impossible miracle signs and wonders or whatever you believe in God for your business, your children, your economic situation, job, whatever, then that will go by the condition of your forgiveness. Your faith and your forgiveness levels, come; they always go together. And when people got great faith, they ain't got time. They ain't got time for other people's nonsense and drama. And they're certainly going to be drawn into a conversation about it. They're working on stuff. I ain't got time to be offended. Listen, common people talk about other people. Mediocre people talk about things. Smart people talk about ideas. And ideas is what shapes the world. Ideas is what gives you breakthrough. Ideas is what puts you into another place and category altogether. 
Tap your neighbor and say, ain't nobody got time for that. Come on. <laughs> ain't nobody got time to shoot the breeze. Ain't nobody got time to go to the club. Sorry, I'm not going. I'm not doing all that stuff. I'm working on stuff. Ain't got time. <laughs> I'm going to never do that again. That was terrible. That was disgusting. Ain't got time. Ain't got time to wallow in self-pity. Come on, church. Ain't got time to be upset. Ain't got time to be mad. I was at a gas station the other day, and a man was trying to squeeze between me and this other lady, and she had her door open. She had it open for a long time. The guy's trying to get through. Finally, he just starts inching his way through, and it was close. And his boy, she said, F this and F that. And this guy, and, and you see my door open, and he's giving her the F-bomb and fingers and stuff, and everything's good. I'm like, look at these people. It's like 9 o'clock in the morning. And then she looked at me like, what you looking at? I'm like, oh, my, nothing. Nothing. I am cool. I'm over here praying. Hey, Lord, Jesus. This woman's crazy. And you know what I kept thinking in my, whole, my, 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 my own heart? Life is too short to be so aggro, so angry, filled with vitriol. We got too much to do. I said, I didn't mean this in a bad way, but I said, I'm looking at a woman who has no purpose. Because when you have purpose, you just don't get like that. If you get easily offended in traffic or with your parents or husband or wife or with preachers, you know that you're caught in scandal on. If you forgive little, you will have little faith. If you forgive lots, you'll have lots of faith. And we live in a culture, an age, in a spirit of criticism and offense. Do we not? Everywhere you turn, everywhere you turn, Criticism, criticism. I'm offended. I'm triggered. And we call each other snowflakes and all kinds of stuff. And I look at and social media and, and the internet in particular is just filled with hate and vitriol and problems and criticism and pointing blame and fingers at everyone else. There's such a lack of redemption. People want to rip you down and never give you even that much of a shadow of doubt. Not even that much to hear what you have to say. Nothing. They just want to rip you down, paste it up everywhere, and call you this and call you that. And I think, my God. And guess what's about to happen? Their world is about to be rocked in the same way because what you sow. Be not mocked, be deceived. God will not be mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that he shall also reap. Learn to be somebody who gives grace, somebody who gives mercy, even if it ticks you off. Do you know when people I, uh, that I had a problem with over the years in the ministry, had a problem with them? I mean, they did some very foolish things, and I was upset. And in a service like this, and the Lord says, give him a word. I said, oh, yeah, I got a word for that. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Jesus. You, stand up, you know. And as they're walking down, the Lord starts telling me what to tell them. And I'm blessing them. And God's showing his love upon them. And I'm thinking, this is crazy. And I'm hearing my mouth say things that I don't agree with. But I know it's God. 
by the time I'm done giving it, my heart begins to melt because I start feeling his heart for them. I made it personal. I'm, I'm this much a part of their life, that much. I made it personal when they have all this, these things over a period of all of their life and God sees everything. He sees from, from where they're at all the way back into where they're going and he needs somebody to show some mercy and extend some grace. And he will use you <laughs> to do it. And by the way, the more you do that, the more this God will trust you to do more of that kind of stuff. He will give you things that will blow your mind because he says, I can trust you. You went beyond your feelings here. How do you, how do you know uh, you are offended? You have a critical and fault-finding spirit about you. Offense breeds criticism and cynicism. Always pointing a finger. We have children of Israel are called to go to the promised land and every time something bad goes, they take their finger and they point it right at Moses. It was you. It's because of you. We were doing just fine. Do you know what we were doing? We were eating all the onions we wanted. Wow. Destiny. We were slaves, but we were at least treated with three meals a day. Oh my God. Congratulations. One thing goes wrong, doesn't go their way. It's because of you. And they wanted to kill Moses. Why? They were offended with him. They were offended with God. And you get critical and you get cynical and everybody's done you wrong and you're always waiting for the, the shoe to drop or the raw rug to be you know, pulled out from underneath of you. That's how we know you're offended. You're caught in a trap. We've had people leave this church because they weren't allowed to sing a solo on the platform. Only one problem. They couldn't sing. They were terrible. <laughs> Trying to be something they weren't. And you couldn't tell them otherwise. I was tone deaf. They were perfect. You know what I'm saying? And they get offended. Well, I'm going to go to church where my gifts can be appreciated. They go down the, church, down the next street to the next church. Get in there. Guess what happens? They go, God bless you. You can't sing here either. And they go from church to church to church to church. Offended, 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 offended. Can't take correction. Won't take correction. Amen, somebody. People want to teach a class in our church, but you know what? They don't show up half the time to church. And I'm going to let you have some authority with my people that God's given me care of, that I'm supposed to take care of. I can't do that. I don't trust you. Or want to do something in the ministry, yet they have, they're, they're terrible, they're, they're spiritually mature. Or in sin, or whatever. Someone might say, I'd like to forgive preacher, but you just don't know what they've done to me. And you're probably right. And I will not say what you went through was easy. Because I'm sure it was extremely painful and difficult. Because I too have been through some painful things. I think everybody in this room, to some degree, has experienced that in their life. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to de-emphasize the pain. But I'm going to just tell you what Jesus told me and what he's telling you. He says, you got to forgive them. you got to release them. But you don't know how bad it's been. Tell it to Jesus. Tell that to Jesus. I think you might change your tune when you remember what he went through. 
when he was sleep deprived, when he was mocked and punched in the face, slapped and beard ripped out of his face, when he had a cat of nine tails wrapped around his body, exposing his, uh, his, his, uh, his vital organs and his skin being ripped in half, and then stapled to a tree naked and left to die a suffocating death, a pain and agony, and you had a bad day? You had a bad life? When Jesus shoulders not only my sin, but your sin and billions and billions of people's sin on his back on the cross. I'm not saying it to make light of what you went through. I'm saying it so you go, wait a second. I'm not the only one. My Jesus, if nobody else understands me, if everybody misunderstands me, my Jesus knows what I've been through. And we call to him, and he gives us the help that we need. Somebody say amen. It was Jesus, the suffering Messiah, on the cross of Calvary, looked out over humanity and said what? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. How beautiful is that? Have you ever considered that? This morning I said it, I just said it by revelation. I never thought about it before. It just came out of me this morning. I said, how beautiful is that? That Jesus doesn't say, I forgive you. You know why? Because he didn't take the offense. He didn't need to forgive them. He did it for them. But he said, Father, forgive them. Because in his wrath, all of humanity's sin came upon the body of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that kind of power? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Let's finish what we started.